Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Xavier bats in motion. He gets the flip on the jet motion. There he goes. 40, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Xavier Betts finds the end zone. And the Huskers now lead it 16 to 3. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. I'm so happy for the kids, so happy for the coaching staff, so happy for Nebraska fans that have been waiting on this as impatiently as I have, and it certainly wasn't the the prettiest game. But uh, anytime you win, um, I think it's going to help boost us going forward. Now McCaffrey going to go under center. Keeps it, keeps it himself, leans right, and that is... They're unpiling everybody. No signal yet. Touchdown, Nebraska! Luke McCaffrey's first rushing touchdown of the season, and Nebraska has grabbed a 6-0 lead. Xavier bats in motion. He gets the flip on the jet motion, and there he goes. 40, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Xavier bats finds the end zone, and the Huskers now lead it 16-3. Xavier had a chance to be a really good football player here. Since he got here, he's become more and more committed to trying to be really good. It means a lot to me, you know, care about all the kids so much, but to see a homegrown kid uh, have that kind of success is really special. Clifford straight back in the pocket, looking to throw. Steph throws, pass, intercepted. Guards by Cam Tanner Britt to the 50, Britt to the 40, 35, gets a block, runs into a, to Clifford, and then gets spun out of bounds at about the 15-yard line. Cam Tanner Britt gets his fourth career INT. It's the sixth thrown this year by Clifford, and the Huskers in business after their third pick in two weeks. Let's go. You know, for us to go out there, you know, and play like that, that's how we're supposed to play. You know, they expect that of us. So we just have to come together, man, and all play together as one. You need those turnovers, and you got to take advantage of them because you never know when they're going to happen to you. And when you get those plays in this league, you got to take advantage of them because they can can turn around and bite you too. Wide receivers each way. Lefford gets the snap. Zone read, back to throw, being rushed, gets hit, fumbles the football. Pick it up. Picked up Nebraska, racing toward the goal line, and scoring is Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams knocked the ball free, scoop and score. It's all Nebraska right now in Lincoln. 23-3, big red. Shotgun look, four to the backfield, fourth and 10 from the 11. Trips left, Dotson to the near side, snap back to Levis. He holds, he looks, he's got time, throws, pass short of the goal line and ripped away incomplete. Mark this mute, ripped the football away from Parker Washington, who was going to make the catch at the five, and the Husker defense is held. Nebraska will take over on downs at the 11-yard line. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of uh, just developing as a program, growing as a program, just being able to, to finish games, when uh, make plays when the game's on the line, and I was really proud of the guys today. Levis looking to the sideline. Play clock at six. Here's the snap back. Levis has it. Being flushed, being rushed. Gets hit, goes down at the 13-yard line. The Oscars get themselves a sack. That came at a perfect time. It's fourth down and goal. Snap back. Levis has time. Steps through, gets hit, and dropped. He's sacked. And he just flips the ball away. The Huskers pick it up. They're going to say incomplete pass. And Nebraska is going to beat Penn State today to get their first win of 2020 as they twice in the last five minutes of this game basically have goal line stands to preserve a 30-23 game. Boy, did these black shirts step up, Greg Sharp. Holy moly. The state needed it. The team needed it. I needed it. 
when you find a way to win, uh, hopefully, again, that we've turned a corner there, and next time we're in that situation, we'll put the hammer down. You know, anytime you can take the same learning experiences you do week by week, but have them with a more positive mindset is something that's huge for the future, and, and it's something that we needed to learn to do. So this win's huge, but now it's time to turn it around and see what we can do next week. Oh, my. How's your Monday been? Mine's been so much better after that. Saturday, Huskers beat Penn State 30-23. to We're going to slice it and dice it every which way coming up here on the program tonight. Want to get your input as well if you want to dot us up on our Sports Sunday hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Welcome to the program. Welcome to another week. And it is amazing, Ben. A win makes the air smell fresher. It uh, makes the coffee taste better. I mean, it's just it puts a little spring in your step to get the Huskers through that into that win column. And and that was fun on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, we say this all the time, but the difference between winning and losing, uh, the feeling, I mean, it's, there's just no middle ground. You know, you're either all the way on one end or all the way on the other. And, you know, I I, I normally am just, you know, when we're on the air at 6 for an 11 a.m. kick by eight thirty nine o'clock, I'm ready to just phone it in and, you know, just go to bed. But, you know, after a win, I would – I was up. I was ready. I was ready to watch Bud Crawford fight. I, I was ready for the football <laughs> game to start after that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just such a, a great feeling, and you know, to see that uh, video that the athletic that the football team and athletics put out in the locker room to see all the Instagram stories that the players posted from the locker room, just the joy on their faces makes it makes everything worth it. A um, little disappointed at, at the amount of negative comments I, that, you know, seemed to find its way to me after the game and even into Sunday. Um, look, imagine how we're feeling if, if Penn State throws a touchdown pass and we go to overtime and for some reason, you know, they, they win in overtime. Imagine how you're feeling if we're 0-3 and lose that game after being up 21 points, how you'd feel. So – just enjoy it. I mean, take the win, move on, uh, focus on Illinois, and, you know, just try and, uh, you know, use this as a springboard. Was Saturday perfect? Absolutely not. Was there a lot of things that Nebraska could have done better? Totally. I mean, there, there, there wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. But here's the deal. Uh, there's one in the win column, and I think that's the most important thing is, you know, you take it, you move on, and, you know, you, now you try and get ready for Illinois, who got their first win last week. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely had more bounds in my step. It was easy. It was easier throwing together a, an outline for a pregame show and, um, you know, talking points already today from um, for next week, for next Saturday. But it is just one win. And you just hope there are there are many more to come. You know the fact that this is a, uh, you know th- this this feeling is so foreign is not okay. We we need to be feeling this feeling a lot more often. No doubt. And there's no reason at all to offer up an apology for only winning by seven points over a team that's really talented. In fact, I thought Nebraska had a tougher time along the line of scrimmages in this game than they really did the first two weeks. And that's saying a mouthful because Ohio State's loaded. But Penn State's offense and defensive lines are really good. There's a handful of pros on those lines. 
for that Penn State football team. And Nebraska made plays, built the lead. I know people are frustrated because we're not scoring more points in the second half. That's going to come. That's going to happen. We're still we're still breaking in a bunch of young guys. You had a redshirt freshman quarterback making his first start on Saturday. You had Diedrich Mills get banged up, so you had to move Wandale to, to running back where he hasn't practiced a ton back there. I mean, there, there's reasons why, but absolutely, it needs to be cleaned up. But at some point, tip your cap to the other team. That's a, a, a month ago, that was a top 10 rated football team. And I know they have issues and I know they have problems, but they're really, they, they could win out from here on. I mean, plus the way the defense had to dig deep, that's what was really satisfying for me, Ben, was the ability to slam the gate twice in the last five minutes on Penn State drives in the red zone and to not commit a penalty. A defensive hold or a P.I. that would have put the ball at the two-yard line, that was remarkable. I, I just love that sequence. I could go back and watch those final five minutes over and over and over again and enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, and I think there were a lot of us, myself included, that were watching that game going, okay, you know, where's Dotson? Where's Fryermuth? Here comes a post to the end zone that's going to be caught. We're going to go to overtime, or they're going to go for two, and they're going to rip our hearts out. There were probably a lot of people that were feeling that. And I think I think it's because we've seen that happen a lot before. Montez throwing that dime, you know, in Boulder uh, to Stanley in the corner of the end zone uh, to tie that game and to go go to overtime. The best throw that guy's made in his life. You know, we've seen that happen so many times that you're just you're expecting it to happen. And and the the, the fact that. You know, the defense was able to stand up and, and make those big plays when they had all the momentum. I mean, I don't know about you, but when we go three and out, and I had I, I didn't have any problems with Nebraska's possession. I, I wish they were able to just move the chains and salt the game away. It didn't happen that way. But once we gave it back to them, even after the pressed up 55-yard punt, I'm thinking this is just isn't going to end well. I'm just preparing to have my heart broken again and I'm sure there were a few guys on the team that probably thought that too, you know, with everything that's happened. So you're right. For Nebraska to have to step up and make the plays when they did to win the game um, should should make you happy. And, look, the second half was far from perfect offensively. I get the frustration. I understand it. But, again, you know, it's not like you're just going to win – Every time you win, you're gonna you're gonna bury a team. Especially, I mean, that team was favored to win. That team was supposed yeah. to beat Nebraska going into the game. Right. So, I think we even said in our pregame show, I don't care if it's by one point or by fifty points. You got to find a way to win a football game, and they did that. And I don't care here Monday, you know, after the fact, if it is one point or fifty points, it would have been better. Fifty points would have been better. But we're one and two, and we're talking about you know potentially being two and two this week, taking on Illinois. So. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy that with for the players. I'm happy for the coaches. I'm happy for Luke McCaffrey. Uh, I'm really happy for those cornerbacks. You know, Cam Taylor Britt and uh, Quentin Newsom, Decap, all of them. I'm happy for Deontay Williams, who's been through a ton in his career. Happy for Xavier Betts that gets his first touchdown. Uh, Marvin Scott got a, got a lot of PT. So I think I think to me there were just so many good things that that happened in that game that you can build off. Um, and you can try and move forward from there. So, yeah, I mean, the, it, it, I have to imagine there was a little more bounce of the step to the, to the boys today out of practice. Ben, you mentioned Jahan Dotson. He had two catches. Two catches. I mean, that guy's been yeah. tearing everybody up in Nebraska, and it was Cam Tater-Britt on him a lot. Decap had him some. Quentin Newsom had him a couple times. It was mostly Cam Tater-Britt. 
Those guys did great jobs on him, keeping him from being open. There was enough of a rush on either of the quarterbacks for Penn State that those guys just couldn't sit back there all day. They had to move yeah. their feet, roll the pocket. They couldn't get settled in there a little bit. So I, I know the final stat numbers on the defense don't look great with 501 yards given up, but only gave didn't give up a touchdown to that offense until midway through the third quarter. There, yeah. there was a lot to build on. And here's the thing, Ben. I've been around a lot of college football. It just takes a spark to kind of get things going a little bit. And that's kind of what I feel like right now. That was the spark to kind of get us going a little bit. And now we need to build on it this week with Illinois. Yeah, I re- I'm remembering watching a lot of Penn State's games, at least all of them to that point, and watching Jahan Dotson and watching Parker Washington and thinking these guys are going to be an absolute problem. I mean, I, I don't know how, how we're going to lock these guys down when when Jahan Dotson is making one-handed catches over a first-round corner and Sean Wade in back-to-back plays and scoring a touchdown is the Big Ten leading receiver. I don't. I don't know. How, I didn't know how we were going to slow him down. And 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 Parker Washington, Greg. You think about two of his catches. Two of his. I mean, he he wasn't overly productive as as it was, but two of the catches that he had were basically back foot jump balls near the sideline that he had to just go make great plays on. So, you know, I think maybe 30 of his yards came on those two catches alone where he's, you know, Levis, I think Levis threw them both, where he's off his back foot and he's throwing them near the sideline. One of them is on that fourth and five where he's off his back foot and just chucks one up in the air near the sideline and Washington's able to come down with it. So, you know, the the job that that they did on those two and – um, you know, Fryermuth ended up with a with a great stat line, but seventy four of those yards came on a busted coverage. Mm-hmm. I think overall for the sixty minutes, you know, you just you just have to tip your cap to the defenders, the secondary, Eric Shenander for the blitzes he was dialing up. Um, it, it just overall was a really really encouraging performance, and I know people are going to just hammer home the fact that Penn State out yarded Nebraska five hundred to three hundred or whatever. Um, but I think the, the game, the game itself dictated a lot of that. Uh, Nebraska's offense and their strategy in the second half dictated a lot of that. Uh, Nebraska's, you know, it's garbage time in NFL. You see it all the time every week. You know, you're you're playing coverage a lot of times, and um, you know you're just you're trying not to let up the big play. Nebraska did let up let up the big play one time, but statistics can be deceiving and really the only statistic that matters at the end of the day is is the one that that's reads the score so was it perfect no is there things to improve on you better believe that there is but i would rather spend this week talking about things that we need to improve on at one and two as opposed to zero and three no doubt Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you Monday Night Sports on a following a Husker victory of 30-23 on Saturday over Penn State. On our U.S. Cellular text line, Chad in Topeka said, I totally agree with you guys. Penn State's got some serious talent, and it's a credit to Nebraska's players and staff to win that game. Question for you, as big and as tough as it was to tackle that quarterback, were you guys surprised Penn State didn't try running it more in the end of the game? Yeah, hundred percent. Great, great comment. Uh, I was just waiting for them to spread us out, Greg, and try a little, you know, patented Adrian Martinez quarterback draw up the middle. Um, I, they just kept taking shot after shot after shot in the end zone, and I'm like, "This is fine. I mean, you're going to run the ball all the way down down here to get to get here, and then just start chucking in the end zone. I'm, I'm good with it." But uh, they were probably too hoping for a flag or two, um, you know, something something weird to happen. But I, absolutely, I'm surprised they didn't pull it out at least once on all the chances they had down there. 
I mean, Will Levis, the backup quarterback who took over in the second quarter, he goes 14 to 31. So he's under 50% completion percentage. And yeah, they were having great success with that quarterback run game, and they totally abandoned it when they got into the red zone both times. Back to the text line, Dale and Hastings, proud of those stops at the end of the game, showed much improved resolve. Um, Offensively, though, in the second half, it was puzzling. Was it Penn State's defensive adjustments, Nebraska letting up on the gas, got too conservative, or a combination of all all the above? Based on what we heard from the head coach, it sounded more of the latter. Um, you know, him just trying to manage the game and went away from the offensive game plan a little bit to to play to the situation. And um, I understand from Coach Frost's perspective, you know, up 21 points, how it would be easy to do that and, uh, you know, not, not take a lot of chances. I understand that, especially after the interception. You know, it was kind of a weird deal. Uh, how that happened, him getting hit in the back, ball just fluttering up in the air. I, I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, if I was the one calling plays, I probably would have done the same thing. You know, just try to keep the clock moving, pick up a couple first downs, and and I and I completely understand it. Um, but you know, I think that that comes with confidence. That comes with confidence in your players, confidence in them that they're going to make the plays at the right times. And and the more that you win, the more confident you are, and just keep doing what you're doing and, and you know not really so worried about what may happen but I completely understand how his thought process was there because I, I probably would have been there myself all right well the defense of those two big stops in the last five minutes that's kind of the story of the game for me the head coach today was asked about has the approach on that side of the ball changed from last year I don't think so, Sip. They, you know, I'd say they, they worked really hard in the offseason, but they've been doing that. Uh, I think it's just the process of rebuilding the program and getting some more talent, some more speed, the guys learning scheme, being able to play a little faster, uh, being more sound, making fewer mistakes. Uh, I'm really impressed with the way we're running and hitting right now, and that speaks to who the guys have recruited and, and how they're being coached and, and just the the character of the players and the effort they're given. I think it's, you know, I think there's a little bit more talent out there. You've got some veterans in that secondary that are playing really well, but I think those linebackers have really made improvement. I mean, Colin Miller and Will Honus and Luke Reimer, those guys are flying around and making hits, Ben, and, and making big-time hits on guys. It's not perfect. Don't don't take this the wrong way. There, there are still a lot of areas that this team can grow, but – there isn't one particular area of weakness and go, God, I, don't, I, I sure hope they don't, they don't get, get us here this week. Or, you know, you're, you're looking at your opponents and going, okay, well, do they do this well? You know, there isn't, there isn't the one glaring hole on Nebraska's defense that you're overly worried about every week. And I think, you know, there's plenty of inexperience up front on the D-line, but we've, we've seen all of those guys kind of step up and contribute at different times. You've got to be more consistent at it. But you've seen, we knew Ben Stilley was going to be solid. Uh, we expected a big jump from Ty Robinson. He's definitely had that. Damian Daniels, I think, has held up okay you know, in, his, um, in his share of work. And I like what I've seen from Feldarius Payne. So I think yeah. there, are, there are some you know, areas in which that we were probably a little concerned about coming in to the year. But I'm not sitting here on Saturdays going, okay, I'm watching this guy and this guy on this drive because, you know, this is typically where the defense falls apart. Um, And that's nice to have. It's nice to have, you know, that consistency 
um, at least in terms of uh, of who you have out there and and what their uh, potential is. I mean, you, I keep going to the secondary and and how well those guys played. And the play that I have in my mind is the one where Cam Taylor Britt was just full extension in the end zone, knocking that pass away. Like to me, that that is that is the example of the upgrade of talent that coach was just talking about. It was him talking about the development and, you know, just, just kind of the, the headiness. I think it's all, all three of those things that he had talked about in that answer right there, kind of culminating in one play. There hasn't been a lot of times you've got Nebraska athletes back there that can do, I don't know that Lamar Jackson can make that play athletically. Um, You know, he, his cover skills are probably just as good, but you know when he is beat like that i don't see lamar jackson making a full extension type play like that that's not a knock on lamar he's an nfl corner but you know you've got players that that are out there that can make those types of plays um i mean that play where colin miller just absolutely buried the quarterback into the ground i mean they're they're you're starting to see these types of plays that go okay this is what big 10 defensive football needs to look like and that's good to see. Need to see it more often, but it's nice. It is nice to see. What about the offense? The coach was asked what his thoughts are after um, about that side of the ball through three games. You know, we're not going to be happy until we're scoring more, uh, more efficient, doing some really good things. I just got done with a unit meeting with the offense, and we reviewed the game, and I think the guys are able to see little things that they could do. <clears throat> And, and should be able to do uh, fixing some things to to sustain a few more drives. Um, so I, I think we're on the right track, but um, you're never completely happy, and um, we got we got to keep getting better. And you know, I I think as coaches, you get frustrated because you want it perfect right now. Uh, and I mentioned this, but I think we counted. 10 first-year players that played significant amount for us last year. And it seems like we've been young three years in a row because of the turnover at some positions and um, and the recruiting we've done to get some new athletes in here. But it just takes those guys a while to know all the assignments and details they need to for us to be a little more efficient, and we're working at that every day. One of those young players was his starting quarterback in Luke McCaffrey. He was asked how did he feel like Luke handled himself on Saturday. Uh, you can't take it any better. Um, Luke's the type of kid that lives in the office, uh, always watching film, always trying to get better. Uh, so he he takes uh, coaching as constructive criticism, and he wants it. And he wants to continue to improve, and and that's the type of people that you want to coach. Not overly shocking. The thing that's most impressive to me about Luke McCaffrey, and there's there's a lot to be impressed with, isn't his speed, isn't his ability to make plays it's it's just his headiness you know and and how he handles himself um very cerebral and th- that's what makes good quarterbacks those those players that uh, you know can take coaching are eager to learn um you know are maybe more concerned about their work off the field than on the field to prepare them for for their starts guys like that are rarely are not successful so that that to me is what is what that says about luke all right, so let's kind of bring it back around to the defense and the improvements on that side of the ball. Here's another comment from the coach about that. Uh, Chin's a really likable guy. I think the best teachers are good communicators, and Chin's is a really good communicator. Uh, the players like him, so they want to play hard for him. And 
you know, Coach McBride was that way when I was here. Man, he was tough and would yell and scream, but the players would run through a wall for him. Uh, and he made it clear to them what, what he wanted and what he expected. Um, we're certainly not there. There's a lot of things we need to improve, a lot of standards that need to be raised around here so we can do things even better. Uh, but I think the message is starting to get home to the guys, and uh, their play on the field uh, reflects that. Ben, one player we I don't know that we've mentioned yet in the program tonight, and that's JoJo Doman. And Coach Frost keeps talking about his veteran. He goes, I don't want to forget the veteran guys because our veteran guys have really done a good job, and Doman's certainly one of those. Here's his comment about JoJo from today. Yeah, JoJo's, first of all, been a good teammate. Uh, second, uh, you know, really athletic guy and very versatile, so we can ask him to do a lot of things. Uh, we can ask him to play the edge and, and rush. Um, he used to be a DB, so he can drop into coverage. He can play zones for us. Uh, and that's why he's out there so much, because he can do so many different things. But, uh, you know, JoJo's probably bugaboo before was just making sure he, his eyes were good and he was disciplined in the right place all the time. And uh, that's been a lot better this year. And uh, I think he's reaping the rewards of that. There's five or six plays every week that you go, my goodness, 13 is an animal, you know, where he's – coming off the edge, running flat to the line of scrimmage and making a TFL or, you know, shedding a block on a, on a wide receiver bubble, whatever it is. I mean, there are things that he can do athletically on the field at that spot that you just can't block and you can't account for. And there's, you know, sometimes we talk about all the time offensive playmakers ability. Well, sometimes that playmaking ability goes to the defense side too. And his playmaking ability on the defensive side of the ball, I mean – in terms of making plays, he's probably the guy that I'm taking first on that defense to to change a game or make a big play. Led the team in TFLs on Saturday with two at 12 tackles. That was not a team high, but 12 tackles, and most of them were impactful plays. He also was manned up a lot in the red zone with Friermuth, that outstanding tight end of Penn State. I remember one play where he got his hand in there and ripped the ball away from him. Ben, I think he played every snap. Nebraska had to defend 91 offensive snaps for Penn State. And I, if JoJo missed one, it was only one or two. He played a ton of football on Saturday. I mean, that, that speaks to conditioning, to heart, to will. And I, I didn't see any drop-off in his level of play. Well, and for a guy that's battled injury his whole career, too, I mean, that's another thing, you know, to just to, to put – just to get himself physically to the point where you can play 91 snaps – it's incredible. It's incredible for a guy that hasn't had injury issues, let alone for somebody that's battled all kinds of problems, you know, his his career. So huge hats off, hat off and shout out to JoJo for the effort and, and the game that he played on Saturday. Yep, no doubt. Buckle up, put the phone down. A reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Nebraska had four guys, double-digit tackles. Dismuke led the way with 15. I thought he played terrific football, and he also lowered the boom a couple times. In fact, they checked it out for targeting once on him. Will Honus, back after missing a game with an injury, didn't look injured at all. He had 13 tackles. JoJo with 12, and Colin Miller with 10. I had some guys Saturday night go, boy, I, th- I didn't think Luke Reimer played as- enough. I'm like, well, Honus and Colin played great. Luke also re-injured that foot, I think, early in the game. Mm-hmm. He did come back in. Uh, but man, I-, I have no qualms with if it's Honus, Miller, or Reimer out there. I feel comfortable with all three of those guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't need to be the same guy every time. And I know, I know Luke was out on the field for that last play of the game, so – 
you know, there, there's a fair amount of trust in the coaches right there to throw him out there for that. Luke Reimers is going to be just fine. I mean, he, he may not have the game that he had against Northwestern every time out, but he's going to be rock solid. He knows where he's going to be. He's going to make plays. And, and I think you should be thankful and grateful that you're not relying on just one of those three guys all the time to be the heartbeat of the defense when all three of those guys can be kind of interchangeable. We've seen Will Honus, you know, come through and make a few sacks um, against Ohio State. We saw Colin Miller, I thought, play a really, really good game last week against, uh, against Penn State, and we all know what Luke Reimer did against Northwestern. The fact that you've got three guys that are capable of playing at that level is a really good thing. Here we are back after a winning Saturday for the Big Red as they take down Penn State 30-23. to Now get ready to host the Fighting Illini this Saturday, 11 a.m. We're all getting used to those, right? Next week's Iowa game on Friday will be at noon, so you can sleep in a little bit more the day after Thanksgiving. Got a big hour coming up. Some stars headed your way. Matt Davis will be here on Mondays with Matt segment. And Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com will also join us this hour to break down this past weekend of college football and look ahead to the upcoming weekend. But let's get it going with Mondays with Matt. Time now for the weekly breakdown. What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference. With color analyst and former national champion. All the games played... For this historic program, all the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime, and we've seen the best one here today against the top 10 team. It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly. Well, this has to be a little bit uh, brighter Monday around the complex for the guys. (laughs) Yeah, a little more fun after a win for sure. It's been too long. Obviously, we started the season late, and... Here we are in November, played our first home game, and, and we're able to get a win against Penn State, who's, who's a good football team. And so, yeah, it feels pretty good here uh, today. And now just on to Illinois and preparing for them for this Saturday, try to get two in a row. What an impressive first half where really all three phases contributed to the nice halftime lead. What, what impressed you about the first 30 minutes of football? Well, Scott Frost has done a good job at the beginning of games, opening drives, going down and getting the lead. He's done that for years, and, and that happened again Saturday. Then you come up with a with a, an interception, probably should have had another touchdown, you know, dropped one, and then had to kick a field goal. Uh, then the defense gets involved again, and, and Deontay Williams comes up with a huge play, not just a turnover, but a defensive score, and your odds of winning just go up so much when you get a score on that side of the on that side of the ball. So, you know, went in with a huge lead at halftime, and and really felt good about things. So. The momentum was all with Nebraska at half, and yet you knew Penn State was a very capable team, and they have great players, and and uh, obviously they were able to scrape their way back into the thing in the second half. But man, in the first half, the guys played with a lot of energy. Uh, Luke's first start, he did a lot of good things, had a lot of young players. Xavier Betts made a huge play. Marvin Scott came in, made a couple big plays. Uh, the young offensive linemen played well. And then defensively, you know, a lot of guys played well over there, too, to come up with two turnovers. So, you know, it was just a team effort in the first half, really, to, to get us a, a big cushion. What uh, 91 snaps for that defense. That is a load. And I think JoJo Doman might have played every single one of those. That's pretty impressive. 
Yeah, it's too many. You don't ever want to be out there for that many. You're not going to win a lot of games where you have 30 less snaps on offense and a couple hundred yards less of total offense. Uh, 25 of those plays came in the last two drives, I think. And part of that was our, our defense did a good job of not breaking throughout the day, but they, they bent quite a bit. I think we only forced one punt all day long yep. from Penn State. They were in the red zone six times. And so, you know, third down efficiency on defense probably is one thing we need to get better at for sure. Um, that's why those, those drives kept going longer and longer, picked up a couple fourth downs early in the game. So, um, you know, you want to get off the field when you have a chance on third down, and we didn't do that enough. But overall, you can't say enough about digging deep late in the game. You know, play number 79 and 80 and 81 were big plays. And then obviously the, the last drive, stepping up and in the red zone again and not allowing them to score. So uh, those are that's a lot of snaps. I'll tell you, it's one reason we feel good about the defensive line because there's so many guys that can play up there. and. If you don't have depth and you have defensive linemen out there for 70 or 80 or 90 plays, that's not going to work out real well. But we have a bunch of guys that can play there, and I think that really helped us down the stretch. How about some of the plays in the secondary made by this team and then to not get penalized with all those throws into the end zone in the last couple of drives? That was what was really impressive to me. Yeah, you think about a couple years ago and could we have played eight snaps down there in the last two drives inside the 10 and not gotten a defensive holding or mm -hmm. uh, hit the quarterback in the head or, or pass interference or something. And it seemed like those things bit us uh, the first year, maybe even two years that, that Coach Frost was here. And um, so it was great to see him play with great technique. I mean, that's the thing. You practice well and you prepare well and, and you know your technique and, and you don't get caught um, flat-footed or with bad leverage when you end up holding somebody in the secondary. And so the guys did a really good job of, like you said, playing great defense, knocking the ball away, playing underneath when they needed to and going up and knocking the ball away without getting penalties and giving them a, a new set of downs. So, you know, it's just really impressive. Let's go to the offense and, and three games into this, Matt, and, and it's been slow second halves for the offense. What are you seeing? Well, it's something we, we've talked about a lot the last couple of days. You know, we played a really good team against Ohio State and, and you know, had a couple of turnovers and, and just didn't play well. Um, you think about Northwestern and we were able to move the ball through through two picks in the end zone. And so it wasn't moving the ball. It's come down a lot to red zone offense. Um, this last week, you know, Penn State's front seven's really good. And they have really good players and they, uh, they did a good job. I think, you know, you have a big lead. You're trying to protect from turning it over, yet you don't want to be too conservative. And the one time we really tried to push the ball in the second half, Luke got hit by three guys at the same time and they only brought four and, and we turned the thing over and they intercepted it. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just small things. I mean, one guy here or there make an extra block, a little extra effort. And some of those three and four yard runs become seven and eight and you get a first down and you move the sticks. And we're playing against a really good front seven and we're gonna face more of them. So we just have to get better. We have to improve have to have all 11 guys on the same page on every play and try to get more first downs and move move the sticks and keep the defense off the field. It's one of the reasons they faced so many plays on Saturdays. We didn't sustain drives, especially in the second half offensively. 
Yeah. Okay, now it's Illinois week, and, man, if, if I remember right, that was a really physical football game a year ago in Champaign. What are your early thoughts about Lovey Smith's team? Well, they're, they're well coached, and you think about, you know, every time we play them, pretty much it is really physical. I mean, they really run and hit on defense. And last year was one of the most physical games we had. Wandale had a big game, uh, had a bunch of touches and, and played really well, but, but he got beat up in that one. And uh, the wide receivers got beat up too, big hits in the secondary. And, you know, interesting with them, they, I think they get their quarterback back this week. Um, last week, the quarterback was, was really good at scrambling, ran for 192 yards from the quarterback position. And, and so it's going to be a different challenge than maybe what we've had. We'll see who they play at that position. But, you know, every week is tough in the Big Ten, and you have to show up and prepare and, and play really well. And that's what we're going to have to do to make it two in a row at 11 o'clock on Saturday. But tell you what, it's a, it's a lot more fun getting ready for a game after a win, and the, the mood around here is really good, and the guys are getting more confident by the day. Well, have a good week. Get them prepped, get them fired up, and we'll uh, see you in the booth on Saturday. All right, buddy. There he is, Mondays with Matt, Matt Davison. You could just tell, just skipping a step. We heard from some players today at the uh, press gathering. They said the same thing about how much fun Monday practice was today. A lot of smiles, a lot of bounce for the guys, and Heck yeah, they deserve that. We're back on a Monday night sports on here on the Husker Sports Network. And as we do each and every Monday during the college football season, a ch chance to check in with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com who covers college football and nice enough to break away from watching his beloved Bears for a few minutes to talk to us tonight. Any, any score yet in that game? It just kicked off, right? Well, Greg, you and I both know that the Bears don't score, so I'm not missing anything. <laughs> I'd much rather talk to you about college football, and then I'll, I'll, I'll torture myself the rest of the night. Uh, okay, well, one team that doesn't have problems scoring are the Florida Gators. Ha have we maybe overlooked them as a possible playoff contender, Adam? And what, how, what are your thoughts on that team right now? Yeah, very impressive. And you know, in some ways, it's not surprising because – as you know, Dan Mullen's been really good offensively everywhere he's been. You know, was a Florida offensive coordinator when they won two national titles with Urban Meyer and then went to uh, Mississippi State and did some really good things there, you know, with, without the, the most talented uh, roster year to year. And, and they're very explosive. I mean, I had an SEC coach tell me that, you know, Florida State, Florida's, you know, kind of top three offensive weapons are as good as any on the Alabama team that they most likely will face. In the, uh, in the SEC title game. So, you know, defensively, they're still not a great team. But in this environment, you don't have to be a great team uh, to, be, uh, to, 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 to win a lot of games. And so, with, you know, with Kyle Trask, who's certainly put himself on the Heisman Trophy radar, six touchdown passes, 356 yards. They were without Kyle Pitts, their, their star tight end. It didn't matter. Grimes and Tony and, and Henderson and some of the others. Uh, Copeland, they have a lot of good good players uh, just at the, all the skill positions. So they're going to be really tough to stop offensively the rest of the season. I'm kind of getting my mouth water and thinking about them playing Bama in a title game. I think that'd yeah. be a heck of a matchup here in about a month. Right. And, and you know, we all saw what happened when Alabama played uh, Ole Miss uh, earlier in the season and all the points that were scored. I think Alabama had almost as close to a perfect offensive performance as you could have. Uh, Florida also played Ole Miss. A lot of points scored as well uh and and both of those teams beat the rebels but but man to go to go head to head uh even though i think alabama's a bit better defensively than florida is 
that would be a really exciting SEC title game, certainly a different type of title game than we've seen at least uh, you know, in, in, in years past. Sure would be. All right, so much for the theory that it's a free pass for everybody in 2020. Will Muschamp out at South Carolina. Surprise at all, and where do they go next? Right, yeah, I'm never surprised with the coaching carousel. Everybody was saying, you know, it's a pandemic and nobody has money, and these, these, these remaining guarantees the coaches have are, are large, and Will certainly had a large one at eight figures. Um, and so, yeah, but in the SEC, I think when, when, when programs reach the point where they want to make a change, they typically do it, and um, unfortunately, that that meant uh, you know Will being uh, let go. I think I think South Carolina actually has a pretty good candidate pool. Um, I think you know, Louisiana coach Billy Napier has done a really good job uh, with that program. You know, he he spent a lot of his uh, he played in the state of South Carolina. He spent a lot of his early coaching career at uh, at you know South, uh, South Carolina State and Clemson. He was the offensive coordinator at Clemson briefly when he was younger. Um, he's an interesting candidate. Hugh Freeze. I think we'll get another chance, mm-hmm. whether South Carolina wants to give him that chance or not remains to be seen. I think Steve Sarkeesian will get a look, the Alabama offensive coordinator, if he has interest in that job. Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, another guy who spent his entire playing and coaching career in the state of South Carolina. So if, if, if they can get over the whole Clemson thing, I think he's a guy that will also be on, on the radar. And then an interesting candidate here, too, is Jeff Munkin, the Army head coach. Now, why would South Carolina – hire the Army head coach. Well, South Carolina's president, Bob Caslin, was a decorated uh, Army officer and the former superintendent at West Point when, when, uh, when Jeff Munkin was hired. And we all know that Jeff has done a great job with the Army program. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that, there's a lot, of, a, lot of interesting, a lot of interesting candidates there for South Carolina, especially being the first uh, Power 5 program to enter the market for a coach. How good a job is it, Adam? Well, you know, it's, it, I, again, it's not a great job. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't have investment. Uh, they 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 had they built a new uh, fifty million dollar football performance center a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, I think they have booster support. But the fact is, you look at their history, and aside from a three year stretch under Steve Spurrier, where they had three consecutive AP top ten finishes, I think from twenty eleven to twenty thirteen. Uh, they don't have much history. Only one SEC division title, their last conference title, came as a member of the ACC since wow. 1961. Only three coaches have finished their South Carolina tenures with winning records uh, for the Gamecocks. And so it, it, it is a challenging place. You know, are you going to beat Florida and Georgia for recruits and on the field? Uh, not most years, but I think you can be more competitive. I think the key for South Carolina is getting to the, you know, the top half of the SEC East. And so you're ahead of Kentucky, which right now has been ahead of them. And you're ahead of Tennessee and you're ahead of, of Vanderbilt. Um, those types of programs, I think, uh, in Missouri, you know, you want to be ahead of those programs, ideally, if you're South Carolina. Adam, we live in a world where the Indiana Hoosiers are ranked in the top 10. How about that? What a job Tom Allen's done. He really has. And, you know, for those of us who know Tom and have known him, for many years, you're just so happy for the guy because he's a genuinely good person and a really good coach. And uh, he's had a, an excellent plan there from a recruiting standpoint, from a development standpoint. You know, they are a talented team. You saw that last year, and they're even more talented this year with, with Mike Penix Jr., their quarterback, healthy. I mean, they, they let Peyton Ramsey, who was a, a very accomplished quarterback, essentially walk out the door to Northwestern, and, and he's 4-0 with the Wildcats. That just shows you how you know, Indiana's got depth. 
uh, you know, I think at all the skill positions. And then the defense has been the unit that's really impressed me. And that's Tom's specialty. He was their defensive coordinator before their head coach. So I remember when I first kind of got familiar with Big Ten football and went to school in this conference, the Indiana's defense was dreadful. And I started studying them. You know, they, they had been bad for honestly, you know, two decades. And, and so that's what you're dealing with historically and why it's so impressive to see a guy like Taiwan Mullen is one of the best defensive players in the country and, and some of the other outstanding defensive players they have. So I'm excited to see them against Ohio State. I know they're three touchdown underdogs. And you know, Tom was talking today about how nobody gives them a chance and he's going to certainly use every ounce of motivation he can um, to get his team uh, geared up to obviously face the most talented team in the, in the conference in Ohio State. So certainly excited for that one on Saturday. Yeah, the best matchups really in the country this week are in the Big Ten. That one and then the one in Evanston with Northwestern and Wisconsin. Boy, the Badgers were impressive. What did you make of their play against Wisconsin, or against Michigan the other night? Yeah, yeah, just very impressed overall, especially a team that had – you know, the layoff that they had, uh, you know, not, not being out there in Graham Mertz, it was maybe a little bit rusty early on, but they didn't need him to be great. I mean, they ran the ball well. They took the ball away. And Wisconsin's defense has been one of the more consistently elite units in the country. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, 238-point wins. It, it, you know, you just can't argue with what they're doing so far. Now, this will be a bigger test on Saturday with Northwestern, Wisconsin has typically struggled in Evanston. They've lost some games. They lost a couple of years ago. Uh, Northwestern's 4-0, but they're going to have to play their best game of the season because it's just hard to score on Wisconsin. It's hard to run the ball against them. If you make mistakes, they'll make you pay. And while Wisconsin's running game, even though they were better against Michigan, is not, I think, at, at its typical level. They can still run the ball with a variety of players and, and really stress the defense. And now they have a quarterback in Graham Mertz who can make uh, some big plays in the passing game. So uh, I'm excited to watch that one for sure. It really the winner, especially if it's Northwestern, uh, you, you kind of think the division's over at that point because Northwestern will already have a tiebreaker over Wisconsin, over Iowa, over Purdue. Um, and so, you know, and they have three very winnable games left after Wisconsin. Again, visiting with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. I said we live in a world where Indiana's in the top 10. We also live in a world where Penn State's the only team in the league without a win. And then whatever's going on in Ann Arbor. I mean, th- those are two proud programs that are having rough falls. Well, the good news is they play each other in a week, and so one of them will win a game. Um, I know Michigan's already won one, but yeah, it, it is stunning to see just how 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 much Michigan has fallen off. I had a a former uh, assistant coach there text me over the weekend and say, I, I can't recognize anything that's happening. I can't recognize the players. I can't recognize the plays being run at Michigan right now, and uh, you know it's certainly discouraging for a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who's really only had success as a head coach, whether it's uh, you know, San Diego or Stanford or the 49ers are, are really at Michigan until this season just to see how far they've fallen. And so uh, I'm interested to see what they have left. Same with Penn State. I mean, the question with Penn State, I know you saw them on Saturday in Lincoln. You know, why do they start games so poorly? Is it a preparation thing? Is it an energy thing? Uh, why do they only get it together sometimes uh, when, when the game's almost out of reach? I know they did almost have a chance to come back against Nebraska, but uh, you know, it, is it a desired thing at this point? For Penn State, they've obviously had some key players either opt out or, or Journey Brown's unfortunate situation. They're not playing well at quarterback. They, they made a quarterback switch against Nebraska. And so, you know, not, not a whole lot to salvage the rest of the way for Penn State. Yeah. Uh, USC's living right. I mean, they pulled a couple games out of the hat. They go to Utah this week. Have you been surprised with what you've seen from the Trojans so far? 
Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, uh, they have been, throughout Clay Helton's tenure, a very talented but also sloppy team. You know, a team that, that, that does things like 11 penalties, I think it was, against Arizona, and, and, and sometimes doesn't execute well enough in the red zone. And you see the talent out there. I mean, Keaton Slovis is a really good quarterback. They're very good at wide receiver. But, you know, just their inability to run the ball in short yardage. And, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember the, the glory days of USC, I mean, that, that, that just is foreign to us. I mean, USC is running back you and, and, and for many people in college football, and they're just not right now. Um, and so they are winning, and they're, they're fortunate to be 2-0. and but they're going to have to play better here beginning this week against Utah, a team that's going to be extremely hungry. I mean, they, they haven't had a, had a chance to play a game yet because of their COVID issues. And you know it's a prideful program that Kyle Whittingham runs. They felt like USC, they gave it away last year. That, that game at the Coliseum, Utah was uncharacteristic. I mean, they were sloppier than USC. They were both sloppy. But Utah especially so, they lost the game. And so I think they're going to be very motivated. And so, you know, this is a big one. I think if USC can get past the Utes, play cleaner football, play to their talent level. There's no reason why they shouldn't be in the Pac-12 championship game. Speaking of COVID, Adam, and we'll let you go after this here to get back to your Bears game, is that 15 games canceled last week. Are the powers to be in the sport, particularly those that, that, that handle the playoff, are they getting nervous that they may have to push that back into January? Well, I think it, it, it at least has to come up. And I understand why everybody wants to wrap up the season when it's supposed to be wrapped up. I heard Lincoln Riley's comments today, not, not really interested in seeing the playoff move back at all. But, you know, with the number of cancellations and the fact that, you know, some of these key games, division games, meaningful games uh, are, are on, the, on the brink of not being played, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's something that needs to be discussed. Uh, just, you know, a little bit of leeway. I, I know everybody wants to see games on January 1st. I do. I know how much those, uh, those ratings mean to my employers, but it's such a unique year. And, and to get a little bit more time to get some games in and, and really give the committee as much inventory to monitor and digest before making their decision on the top four, I think could, could really be beneficial. Now, who's to say things are going to be any better in January? But it, I, again, time has been a valuable uh, thing. It's, it's one of the things I think the Big Ten will, will kind of regret about this season. But you look at the Big 12, most of their games have gotten in. Most of their teams only have a few games left because they gave themselves the most amount of time. And that, unfortunately, hasn't been the case for some of the other conferences. Very good. Great stuff, as always, Adam. Get back to your Bears game. We'll talk to you again next Monday. All right, Vikings just scored, so it's over, Greg, uh, but I, I, will, I will suffer <laughs> through the rest of it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Here we are, Hour 3, Sports Honey on the Husker Sports Network. Thank you so much for spending some of your Monday evening with us. We have our Weekend Rewind coming up here in a couple of minutes. Then we're going to hear from head basketball coach Fred Hoiberg. He's going to be along at a press conference earlier today. We'll play you some clips of that. Programming note, tomorrow night, whoa, wow, you do not want to miss tomorrow night. It'll be a month, our monthly sit-down with athletic director Bill Moose. That will be during hour one, and we'll have our first Husker basketball show with the head coach Fred Hoiberg for an entire hour tomorrow night. So looking forward to that here on a Tuesday edition of Sports Sunday. But let's get this hour underway with the Rewind. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat has taken the field. 
A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, to the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the targets. Steven Jackson's David... Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. Another weekend full of sports, particularly football, but we got some other things to talk about with some local flavor. Good stuff all weekend long. Let's go ahead and start as we always do around the Big Ten Conference when it comes to football. Starting first in East Lansing, it was the 1-2 and two Michigan State Spartans and the undefeated and 10th-ranked Indiana Hoosiers, as expected, all IU in this one. Michael awaits the step from Harry Kreider. And he gets it. And expires it down the field. And making a tremendous catch Fry Fogle. And he's going to dance to the end zone. Touchdown, Indiana. Ty Freifogel turned around, made the catch, spun again, and goes 65 yards for the score. What did I tell you? 200 yards for Freifogel in this one. Not only was Indiana's offense really good, but, Greg, they pitched a shutout. So they're looking like a pretty complete team right now. Sure are. Now, this week's a big giant step up because it's Ohio State. Nobody's going to give him a chance. I think they compete. I don't think they win. But he has done an amazing job. They're clearly, Ben, clearly the second-best team in the Mm -hmm. East, right? I mean, there's there's no doubt. You got Penn State over. Michigan looks like a train wreck. I mean, it's Indiana, the best team behind Ohio State in that division. By a long shot. Speaking of Michigan, hard to imagine times getting much worse in Ann Arbor after what Wisconsin did to them. Pistol formation to Keel Watson behind the quarterback, Graham Mertz. In motion is prior. They'll tease the jet sweep. Hand off Watson up the middle. He's inside the five. Watson to the end zone. Touchdown, Wisconsin. Nikhil Watson blasting north-south and goes in standing. And it's 27 to nothing, Wisconsin. I'm embarrassed to say I picked Michigan to win this game. I kind of thought Jim Harbaugh typically when his back you know backs against the ropes and he's taken a, a, a blunt of criticism he finds a way to crawl out of that hole well that hole just got about 10 feet deeper after what happened against Wisconsin just for kicks I went and pulled up some of the Michigan beat writers comments on their Twitter feeds and of course the comments from the Michigan Twitter feed themselves Greg they're they're be, they're not even mad anymore they're they're laughing at their own team I mean it, it's just it's over. I mean, this thing is, is absolutely over. Right. And now the question is, does he finish the year? Does he just step aside? Um, yeah, it's done. He's lost a team. He certainly lost a fan base. Six years, and it didn't even come close to what they thought he could get him to when they hired him. And now the big question in Ann Arbor, who do you go get? Uh, I mean, Ooh. because Harbaugh was supposed to be the guy to come in and, and save the, the program and uh, to pull them out from Brady Hoke, pull them out from Rich Rodriguez, and I don't know that the program's in much better shape than when they left. It, you know, to be right. honest with you, it's yeah. it's just it's 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 bad. It is really bad right now. Wisconsin didn't even need to do anything special. 
everybody on that team for Wisconsin was pretty pedestrian offensively. Mertz, 12 of 22, 127 yards. Their leading rusher, 87 yards. They didn't do anything great. Their defense just forced a bunch of turnovers. Joe Milton is absolutely not the answer at quarterback. Um, Michigan is an absolute abomination right now, and Wisconsin tore them apart. So bad, bad times in Ann Arbor. Let's go to uh, back to the Big Ten West. 23rd ranked Northwestern in West Lafayette at Rossi taking on the Boilers. Penn State, or excuse me, Purdue comes back a little bit in the second half. They lose by only seven. Northwestern wins 27-20. Expected this to be a close game, and it was. Uh, this was a typical Big Ten slug-it-out type game, Greg. Isaiah Bowser, Northwestern's leading rusher, 13 carries, 27 yards. Uh, Aiden O'Connell for Purdue. 28 of 51, 263 yards. I mean, the stat lines offensively just were not any good. Um, but Purdue was the first team to score on Northwestern in the second half. They scored 10 in the second half. But um, as, as expected, Northwestern wins the rock fight and are now 4-0. Yep. Mike Carmen, who we had on last week from the Journal-Courier in, in Lafayette, just said Northwestern's been the more physical team, and that proved to be true again on Saturday. Tip your cap to the Cats. He's kind of done it again. Ben Fitz has kind of rallied the troops, got him an adequate quarterback in Ramsey, and off they go. They'll have a shot Saturday. I don't think they beat Wisconsin, but they'll have a shot in that one. They will have a chance, and Wisconsin is going to have to do something off it. They're going to have to earn it offensively for the first time really this year. Right. You know, Illinois' secondary is a joke. We'll talk about them in a second. And with the way Michigan kind of handed them a bunch of points, they didn't need to do too much. They're going to have to earn it against Northwestern this weekend. So I'm really interested to see how that game goes. Speaking of Illinois, what a come from behind it was for Lovey Smith's team. 47-yard attempt, right hash. Snap back. Kick on the way. Headed for the goalpost. It is up, and it is good. Yes. He got it. Yes. The court from 47. He missed two, and he gets a big hug from the coaching staff and his teammates as he nails that one, and Illinois is up 23-20 with three seconds to go. Illinois wins it by a field goal. They outscored Rutgers. 16 to 7 in the second half. That concerns me a little bit. Noah threw it 34 times for Rutgers, 21 completions, 256, two scores, a bunch of interceptions. But the story for Illinois was at quarterback. No Peters. So they go bring in Isaiah Williams, a freshman uh, from Missouri. 31 carries, Greg, 192 yards and a score. A lot of those just basic wildcat type runs, quarterback sweeps, quarterback powers. 31 carries for the quarterback. They love his legs, but he cannot throw for a lick. So very one-dimensional for Illinois, but give them credit. One, they, they get the job done. They, they found a way to get it done, and they are going to welcome Brandon Peters back off the COVID list this week, their starting quarterback, who is a better passer, can't run. So we may see a mix of those two guys on Saturday. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all to see them both out there. Let's move to top 25 action. Boston College gave Notre Dame a bit of trouble. They hung in there, but Notre Dame ends up pulling away, winning by two scores, 45-31. Ian Book doing it all for Notre Dame. Four total touchdowns for the Irish, now 8-0, ranked second in the country. To the SEC we go. Interesting storyline here as Arkansas goes to the Swamp to take on the Florida Gators. And... Kyle Trask for Florida was just lights out all day long. 
All right, the snap to, to Trask. Trask drops back, looks, looks, lobs the ball toward the end zone, and it's Keon Zipperer. He's got it! Oh, my! The ball floated right into the hands of Keon Zipperer! And touchdown pass for Trask! He's got five of them! Tack one more onto that total. Six touchdown passes for Kyle Trask. 356 yards, tying a record set by Joe Burrow for mo- most touchdown passes thrown in the SEC's history through this many games. Felipe Franks, former Florida quarterback, started for Arkansas, played all right, but yeah, they were scoring 63 like Florida did on Arkansas. Heisman candidate? Yeah, oh yeah. Heisman front runner? Uh, or is that too strong? Probably, probably five guys, four or five guys in that conversation right now, but he's definitely in the conversation. I mean, the numbers right. he's putting up right now are just absolutely absurd. Ninth-ranked Miami, we expected this to be close, and it was. They come from behind in Blacksburg, outscore Virginia Tech 12-10 in the second half to win by one, 25-24. De'Eric King throws for 255 and a score. Miami improves to 7-1. It's the sloppiest 7-1 I've ever seen, but they're winning, and they're staying in the polls, 7-1 over a 4-4 Virginia Tech team. Weren't, weren't we split when we picked that game Friday? Like half of us went Miami, half of them Vautech. I went Vautech, and I felt really good most of this. I was seeing scores yeah. flash up most of that game. I took the Canes, but wasn't feeling great about it. And, uh, yeah, Miami, they're winning, but not by much. I think it's telling that you got the ninth-ranked team in the country an underdog as they go take on a team that was uh, which is now 500 so anyway Miami wins and we move along out to the Pac-12 11th ranked Oregon and Washington State this was a really really fun game to watch and really all the entire time but Oregon just too much in the end shut on first down going to go back and throw got him die touchdown Oregon right side Snuck out of the backfield, was open in a crease, and I'll tell you what, Shuck threw a dart. Really impressed with Shuck. This is my first time really watching him from Oregon. He's not as good of a runner as a Mariota or that they've had in the past, but he can move. He is a threat to run, and he's probably as good, a slightly better runner than Herbert. He doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't have the arm talent as Herbert, but that throw to die was on the money and more than uh, capable of doing what Oregon asked him to do. Plus, you throw a couple of really good backs in the backfield for Oregon with Verdell and Die. It's a great place to start. They, there's still a lot of talent on that team, even though Justin Herbert's not a part of it. Have you seen the freshman linebacker, Sewell? Um, I don't Oh, It's Penne's younger brother, and Penne's opting out this year. He was the yeah, Allen Trophy winner last year. Lineman, His right. younger brother is a true freshman linebacker, Holy moly, is that kid amazing. I mean, he, is a, he, he might be the Butkus winner this year as a true freshman. He's a phenomenal player. They signed. Their recruiting classes the last two years have yep. been by far yep. the best that they've ever signed, and that's scary yep. to think about. They're legit. They beat Washington State 43-29. Really a cool game uh, in, in Huntington, West Virginia, between Marshall and Middle Tennessee, the 50th anniversary of that tragic plane crash that took 75 lives of the Marshall program. They wore special uniforms against the Blue Raiders, all black uniforms with the number 75 on the helmet to commemorate all of the lives lost in that plane crash coming back um, from a football game, a loss um, 50 years ago. And Marshall able to put one on Middle Tennessee, 42-14, 
kind of jumping on the Marshall bandwagon. I mean, that watching the feature on on game day and you know just you know reliving that. Why not? Give me give me some thundering herd football. There's been a lot of non-power five schools winning games, and you know this would be a really cool season if Marshall can find a way to. I don't want to say play in the New Year's Six Bowl, but you know compete and you know win a bunch of games. I I wouldn't mind seeing them do well. Jerron Woodyard. Yeah. How about that? 40, <laughs> 42-14, the score. Grant Wells is not a bad quarterback at all. No, he's, he's not. He's pretty good. Yeah. He threw for 336 and five scores against Middle Tennessee. Boy, SMU was in total control against Tulsa. And I don't toot my own horn very often, but on our Friday pick segment, I said, I don't trust those guys. I do not trust SMU. They were up 21 to nothing in total control of the game. And then the wheels fell off. Back come Tulsa with a chance to win it. Back to pass. Smith now throws it to the end zone. A man wide open. Caught at the goal line. Touchdown, Johnson. His second score of the game, 35 yards. And SMU had nobody within a zip code. So not only does Tulsa score, SMU gets the ball with a chance to go down and take the lead, but Shane Buchel throws a pick right at a Tulsa linebacker that they were blowing up during that broadcast, talking about potential first-round talent. Never really heard of the guy sent uh, before that, but gets the game-winning interception, and Tulsa ends up winning 28-24. I think this team's legit, Greg. I do, yeah, I think they're pretty darn good. They're, I think they're going to get into that uh, AAC title game. If they get enough games under their belt, that was only their fourth or fifth game. They've had some games canceled because of COVID, but remember how we eye-rolled when they opened the season with Oklahoma State? Now we're not eye-rolling anymore. They're pretty good. That is not a fluke, that game that they had. So keep an eye on them as the season progresses. Back to the Pac-12. What a finish between USC and Arizona. Arizona gets a, a score with about three minutes left to take the lead. 30-27 30-27 to 27 over USC. Keaton Slovis, I don't know if you watched any of that game, but something was clearly up with his arm. He was just throwing wobbling ducks all over the place. But they kept getting caught. USC just kept catching them and moving the chains, and he leads a touchdown drive in the final minute, just like they did against Arizona State the week before in that crazy game against the Sun Devils where they score on a tipped ball in the end zone get the onside kick, go down, score again, win by one over Arizona State. This one not quite as dramatic, but they do go down and score with under a minute, under 30 seconds to go to beat Arizona. So two games for USC, two scores in the final minute to rip the hearts out of the state of Arizona, both the Sun Devils and the Wildcats. 2-0 is 2-0. They'll take it. Absolutely. 8-0 Liberty beats Western Carolina 58-14. So they're off to a great start. And 25th-ranked Louisiana. Yeah, remember those guys all the way, mm-hmm. way back when? Just kept beating teams, beat Iowa State. They're still hanging around. They're 7-1. and one. They beat South Alabama 38-10. to 10. So good for the raging Cajuns. Turn the page now to the National Football League finals from yesterday. Uh, it was the Browns over the Texans in a really ugly, ugly rainy stormy game was delayed to weather browns end up winning it 10 to 7 nick chubb had a chance to run one in late steps out of bounds at the one yard line and the cleveland browns kill the clock from there his first game back it was the lions over the washington football team greg alex smith threw the football yesterday 55 times oh wow 55 pass attempts for alex smith 
most of them check downs. <laughs> I only kid. But great to see him back out and play well through for 390. But the Detroit Lions, after Washington goes to tie it, in like 30 seconds, go down and Prater kicks the game winner as time expires. Lions nearly 59 blow. yards. Yeah, nearly blow a 24 to 3 lead or something like that. I think they're up 24 to 3. They nearly blow it. Uh, but Prater, good from a mile out. He's got a massive leg, and Detroit improves to 4 and 5. Green Bay survives a scare. We had a buy sell question on this that I got incorrect. Packers beat the Jags 24 to 20. It was an ugly game for Green Bay. Thanks to my newly acquired quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Thanks to Sir Yacht's inside source. I got a chance to win this week in fantasy if the Bears defense stops going off. But Green Bay wins it 24-20, and they improve to 7-2. and two. He's How already the conceded. He has. Hey, Keenan Allen did score him a touchdown this week, so I don't feel too bad. The New York football Giants, Greg. Winners of two in a row and a 27-17 win over Philadelphia. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Carson Wentz just isn't very good. Uh, he nope. just he's he's just I don't know what it is. He, he just had a hard time at the quarterback spot right now. And those Eagles fans out there know exactly what I'm talking about. Didn't even have the excuse of no playmakers. Alshon Jeffrey back, Jalen Rager back, Travis Fulgham back, Miles Sanders back. Really, the only guy you didn't have was Zach Ertz. Tampa Bay beats Carolina 46-23. Three touchdowns for Tom Brady and a 98-yard touchdown run from Ronald Jones. A buy-sell question on 200-yard rushers. He finishes with 192. So still looking for a 200-yard rusher, even with a 98-yard touchdown run for Rojo uh, for the Buccaneers, but now 7-3 in the division. Las Vegas just rips apart Denver. Drew Locke, woof. Just a brutal game for Denver. Oakland just runs it right down their throat in the second half, 37-12. to 12. You knew, Coach Gruden knew, Devontae Booker was a former Denver Bronco. In that second half, they just kept force-feeding Booker, and he scored a couple of touchdowns against his old team. Vegas now 6-3. and three. The Miami Dolphins still undefeated with Tua Tungabailoa as a starting quarterback. 29-21 winners over the Chargers. They're now 6-3. and three. Herbert with a pretty yikes game for the Chargers as well. But Tua finding a way to get it done, and so are the Dolphins. 29, you're like 3-0. 3-0. Ryan Fitzpatrick can't even be mad at what's going on right now. Big win for Miami, who is now 6-3. and three. Speaking of that division, the Bills in control of that division going into yesterday. They get a 21-yard touchdown pass with 36 seconds to go to Stephon Diggs in the corner of the end zone. Arizona with, I think they had one timeout. Get a couple of out routes, get about to midfield. Final play of the game, one last heave to the end zone. Shotgun. Murray out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Six seconds. Murray heaves it downfield. Nuke hauls it in over three guys. Triple coverage in the end Unreal. zone. Out jumps him, out fights him. Tremendous hand strength. Comes down with the ball. Arizona wins it 32 to 30. Two of their three losses were by less than four. And I, that stat was kind of going through my head as that last drive was unfolding. Man, they're about to lose another tight one to the Bills on a late touchdown pass. But DeAndre Hopkins 
and Kyler Murray bail them out. The Arizona Cardinals are flipping fun to watch. That offense is so fun to watch with their, with Kyler Murray, and they're really cooking right now. The Rams shut down the Seahawks 23-16. Russell Wilson, his first game without a touchdown pass in like three years. And the Rams, three-way tie now in the NFC West for first place. Cardinals, Seahawks, Rams, all six and three. All three of those teams would probably be undefeated if they played in the uh, NFC East, but unfortunately, that's not the way that it works. Um, Okay, Saints, 49ers, New Orleans wins 27-13. Not good news, though, for Saints fan. Drew Brees, multiple cracked rib. Ribs, a collapsed right lung. It is everybody's favorite quarterback, Jameis Winston time as uh, Drew Brees comes back from injury, but a big win for the Saints, 27-13. Steelers unbeaten, beat up the Bengals 36-10. And on Sunday night football, in an absolute monsoon in Foxborough, former Husker showing he's still hanging around. Now the pass goes to Myers, and it's behind the line of scrimmage, and he's going to throw a high school quarterback he was, and Burkhead will make the catch in the end zone. Touchdown, Burke had his second touchdown of the game, and the Patriots able to hold off Baltimore 23-17. Greg, have you ever seen a game in the conditions that were played last night in Foxborough? That, that last drive for Baltimore was a joke. I mean, I just, you just couldn't help but laugh. It was funny to watch. You're right. I mean, weather was an issue yesterday. You mentioned Cleveland had the bad storms, and that one certainly affected that game. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we go to Augusta. Uh, what a buy-sell question on who would win it. First-time winner. Not a first-time major champion, but a first-time Augusta champion. And the 2020 Masters. The long-awaited Masters has a long-awaited champion in Dustin Johnson. I remember asking you on Friday, has DJ won the Masters? You said, nope. I said, all right, I'm, I'm selling it. Or I, 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 want the first time, I want the first-time winner, and he just dominated. Just took over the course the last couple of days. He's been remarkable for the last four or five months, right? I mean, the way he won the FedEx Cup, he was just due to get another major. Only one major in his career, as good as he's been, he's going to get a few more before it's all done. 100%. And we'll finish it out in the ring. The pound-for-pound greatest fighter in the world. was a little slow starting. Kel Brook landed a couple jabs in the first few rounds, but we didn't even make it to the midway point in the fight, and Bud Crawford took over. Beautiful right here. You all right? Give you a chance. One of the best closers in the game. 27 knockouts in his career. Do we have 28 right here? This fight is all the best. I love it. The ref counts to, uh, gets to the eight count. I'll give you a chance. Five seconds later, he smells blood in the water. That's all he needs. It's over. Absolutely over. And uh, still undefeated. 28th knockout. Man, is he fun to watch fight. Oh, he is electrifying. He needs a big, big, big payday, and I think it's coming. I really do. I think 2021, he gets one of those other guys to come in and finally give him a crack to really make a huge payday. Good for him. Everybody wants the Errol Spence fight. Yep. He's calling for Pacquiao. Just a big name. He needs the big name and just continue doing what he's doing. Great stuff. 
531-500-4686. Call or text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers. U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. Well, Ben, we not only heard from the head football coach, Scott Frost, today, but we also heard from the head basketball coach, Fred Hoiberg. What do you have to say? Are we going to have a season? <laughs> well, we're going to continue to have practice. Can't confirm that there will be games. Um, I put out a tweet today that we're nine days away from Nebraska season tipping off, and we don't know their schedule. Thanks, <laughs> Big Ten. You guys are awesome. Keep, keep doing you. Uh, first question, obviously, what do you know about the schedule? What's the delay? What's going on? Well, Sam, we're relatively confident that we are going to play our first game on the 25th. Uh, we're still working out the details on exactly who that will be. Uh, we have an idea, obviously, of who that will be, but we uh, are not 100% uh, sure at this point. We hopefully will, in the next 24 to 48 hours, we'll be able to put out our non-conference portion of our schedule, but we are still working out the details on exactly who that will be. And uh, further okay. elaborated on the Big Ten, <laughs> Big Ten schedule, saying we don't know what it is. We kind of have an idea, but we can't announce anything. So now, now um, Robin Washett from HuskerOnline.com, who we have on the program frequently, is, has reported that they are going to play McNeese State in a game that's not part of that Golden Window Classic on the 25th, and that the Golden Window Classic is still going to happen, but because a team has left the the field and that was illinois state announced on friday they weren't coming that there is an odd number of teams and nebraska would only then play two games in that tournament so we'll see if that holds but robin is saying it's going to be mcneese state a week from wednesday in regards to the recruiting class coach hoiberg said on the signing of bryce mcgowan's he's the type of signing that changes the entire trajectory of the program he was asked to elaborate on that and what is that trajectory well, ultimately, Caleb, we, we want to put ourselves in a position to compete for championships, and that's, that's why we took the job here. Uh, you know, we want to help uh, take this program to where it's never been before and be a consistent NCAA team. Uh, when you get in there, yeah, you have chances to compete for championships. It's, I guess, a little bit similar at Iowa State uh, when we took over and year two took a huge jump got into the tournament, won a game, uh, won two Big 12 tournament championships in that stretch and went to four consecutive NCAA tournaments. Uh, that's where we want to be. We want, we want to be a team that, uh, you know, has a chance to go in there and compete uh, for conference championships and for national championships. And that's why we took the job. And if I didn't think we could get there, I wouldn't have taken this job. So uh, we're excited about that. Uh, as far as the NCAA tournament, honestly, I heard that on when I was walking down the steps to come into this room today. So I really haven't uh, digested it. It probably makes sense, you know, to form some type of bubble to, uh, uh, you know, hopefully get uh, get the not only the season in, but obviously the tournament as well. Good comments there from the head coach uh, regarding the uh, trajectory of the program. But with COVID, with everything this the staff has been through the last eight months, what constitutes a successful season? Does it change? Is it just about getting better every day? What what will be a success in the eyes of the coaches? Yeah, we, we for, for us, it's it's about uh, taking the right steps as a program. Uh, you know, obviously, things didn't end the way any of us would have hoped uh, a year ago. We had some good early games, uh, you know, had some throughout the course of the season. 
but we want to take steps in the right direction as a program. Uh, we were able to establish a style of play that I think fits this group and I think fits uh, next group with our recruiting class that we have coming in. So, you know, for us, it's continuing to get better throughout the season. And uh, again, we got a group that loves to compete. They're very receptive in film sessions. Uh, you don't have anybody that, uh, you know, when we talk in those film sessions, uh, that gets sensitive uh, about being coached. So, uh, you know, for us, it's making the right steps throughout the course of the season. But, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, really growing as a program and talking about what I talked about earlier ultimately is competing for championships and competing for conference titles. Uh, with what we have this year, uh, I think the core that we'll have coming back to add with Bryce, with Wilhelm, with Keshe, uh, you know, I think we're definitely on the right track. Uh, but, yeah, getting better throughout the course of the season is definitely something we want to do. Coach had plenty more to say. We'll hear more from him tomorrow on Sports Nightly, but some of the highlights of, uh, of his um, media availability today. He, he's also said 24 to 48 hours they'll have the non-conference schedule. So let, maybe tomorrow. Maybe maybe he'll reveal it tomorrow night when he's with us. That'd be kind of cool, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I need to get that. Maybe I need to float that idea out there for, for somebody to be able to have. 